John chapter 5. Tonight we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Now, you're going to notice when it comes up on the script on the screen, and I don't know what translation of the Bible you carry. Uh, Eddie's sitting over there, and I don't know how, remember how long ago it was, Eddie, but several years ago. I believe it was after the storm, after they got better, they found the Adrian Rogers Legacy Bible, which was a very expensive Bible, and they saw fit to buy one for their pastor, and I love using it. Some of you know I use it on Wednesday night. But it is the New King James Version of the Bible. And the reason I'm using this tonight is, uh, uh, and I'm trying to get this out of the way because this is just a logistical thing, has nothing to do with the message at all, but something you'll want to know. You have a New King James Version or a King James Version of the Bible. This text is going to be complete. If you have an English Standard Version, if you have a... uh, uh, Probably an HCV, CBS, uh, HCSB, if you have uh, uh, many of the other translations, you're going to be missing verse 4. You may not have ever noticed it, but it goes 1, 2, 3, 5. And verse 4 is about the angel, and we're going to read it. And somebody go, How, why is verse 4 left out? And the proponents of the King James, you King James, say, well, it's just a better translation. Well, Here's what I really want to tell you the full story is. Whether it's a better translation or not, is somebody else can decide that. But um, most of the more modern translations use manuscripts. First of all, translation from one language into another is not an exact science. I want to say that again. Translation is not an exact science. If you recall, the first, um, what, 1,000, 1,500 years, the only way the Bible was reproduced, uh, close to 1,500, 1,600 years, was somebody copied it. And what happened was that when it got to verse 4, when it comes to verse 4, it seems that some of the scribes notated in in columns, in the the margin, if you will, notated this verse, and and there was an asterisk by it. If you have a translation of the verse is not there, quite likely you've got a mark there, and something down below that says, some translations read this, and it all has to do with the manuscripts they use and the timing that they did the translation. It doesn't mean one's better than the other. It means that everybody, when you're charged with translating the Word of God, you do the best job you can with what you got in front of you. Uh, when King, when uh, the King James Version was put together, they were, there were a thousand or more manuscripts that were yet to be found in the 18th and 19th century, and those manuscripts that were found that now go back to as far back as 150 A.D., those manuscripts uh, uh, don't seem to have this verse. But here's what I want to tell you. In the, con- in the larger context, it speaks to the angel coming down stirring the water, and whether the angel did it, here's what I want to tell you, the water got stirred because the Bible said it got stirred. And so, but I wanted to read it tonight in its total, and you'll see when the scripture comes up that I've got that verse underlined on purpose because that's the verse that's not there. I'm just trying to keep you to know why I'm using this translation. It's not because it's a better one. It's just because it's a different one and it has all the verses. Now that I've wasted all your time telling you something you may or may not even want to know, Let's stand together and get our scripture in front of us. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Very familiar story. 
After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. A message that I've entitled, Obstacles to an Awakening or Revival. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that tonight, in our next few moments, I pray that you will speak your words to us. We would be dishonest with you if we felt like everything was okay down here. If we felt like everybody was following you. If we said those things to you, Lord, you know our hearts and you know that we would be less than honest. And yet, Lord, I know that you want us to be full of your spirit. We want your culture, your people, your crown creation redeemed for your glory and renewed for your honor. Lord, speak words in us tonight that help us to understand what's standing in the way of you falling on us like you fell at Pentecost. Falling on us like you fell on that room when they prayed. Father, we love you and we want your will on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At the last church I served, we had a member named Tim Page. He was a man probably in his 40s at the time. Tim was at work one day, and there was an accident. And uh, he was close by, and when he got there, as I recall all this story, there was a man laying there who was not breathing, And showed no signs of life. Timmy, being the guy he was, jumped in and offered him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and CPR. And the man's life was spared. I tell you that story because one of the things that we... You can go ahead, Teddy. One of the things that we uh, don't... um, That we don't uh, um, think about too often is that when you go and you help people, there are always risk. 
For instance, with Timmy in that situation, gave him mouth to mouth, there could be some biological risks there. CPR, you don't know what you're doing, you can crack a chest and wind up in a lawsuit for crying out loud. There are always risk when you try to go into an emergency situation and bring some relief. But can I ask you this question? How would you feel? And you know, another thing that could happen, just to follow that down, is that you could try to help somebody and they would expire, they would die. If you've never had that, if you've never been sitting next to somebody trying to help them and they pass, it's an unusual experience. But what happens if you don't try and they die? Would you ever forgive yourself? Would you always go back to that time ago? If only I had a... Are you all with me? Now I want you to take this physical scenario and I want to drop it right into the spiritual of our country. Hmm. I don't want to show a hands because I don't want you to be assaulted and your life ended. I wonder if there'd be anybody in this room. Don't raise your hand. I wonder if there'd be anybody in this room who thinks our country right now is headed in the right direction. Spiritually, legally, civilly. <laughs> and it's interesting, watch this, it's interesting, our country is headed in the wrong direction. At the same time, you've heard me say this many times over ten years, at the same time that in this nation, churches, 60 to 90 percent of them are plateaued or declining, and the remaining 10 to 30 or 40 percent that are growing are growing at the expense of others. So we're not seeing people birthed into the kingdom at, a, at any kind of a rate. And, and so what's happening while the rate of, of uh, population is going up, the rate of followers of Christ are going down, is it any wonder? That the country is going in the wrong direction. Now, how does that affect us? How does that affect the church? How does that affect us personally here? Well, let me let me just you see that the uh, slide our core beliefs a month or two ago, maybe two three ago. We voted on our position statement, and on that position statement, we formally adopted five core beliefs. Can I just remind you of them? Number one is the Bible is our guidebook. We believe that we can we find our authority, we find our uh, our polity, we find our leadership in God's word. The second one is God loves us and has a plan for us. Now that we. When we wrote that, it's specific. It doesn't say a good plan because although it will be good, all things work together for good to those who love him. If we say it's a good plan, sometimes when people go through really struggles, they go through cancer, they go through heart attacks, they go through debilitating diseases, they can say, is this the good plan for me? 
in the view of eternity, it might be, but we know that God's got a plan for each of us. Amen? Our third one is very simple. All people matter to God. In that statement, we talked about who could, who could attend. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. And then we said, who could join? Well, that raises the bar. Now, everybody's welcome to join, but the criteria is that they know Christ as, a per, as their personal Savior. That's who we are. The family of Christ bought by the shed blood of Jesus. The fourth one says that we seek to honor God in all that we do. That means that whatever decisions we make, whatever we come up with, whatever we vote on at business meeting, do at deacons meeting, our teens do, staff does, it should be all, always have that guiding bar, that guiding light that we're trying to honor God. And then we get to the fifth one. The local church is the hope of the world. Now, if you see this, the local church the hope of the, is the hope of the world lands right in the middle of this scenario that I'm trying to build for us. For you see, the reason that the local church is the hope of the world, the reason that we as a body are the hope of the world is because we are the one group that has been tasked with the uh, job of of telling people about Jesus, giving people Jesus. We're to be the tellers. We're to be the source. We're to be the spreaders. We're to be the demonstration. We're to be the purveyors of Jesus in this world. And oh, by the way, if we don't do it, nobody else is. Hmm. You see, the church's one responsibility is to give this world what no one else can offer. And that is a Savior that can forgive sin and give life, both abundant life here and eternal life on the other side. But here's our issue, folks. You remember about four minutes ago? The local church is in turmoil. The, the purveyor of Jesus is in turmoil. Sixty to ninety percent of them plateaued, declining. People are not coming to know Christ. And it's not a matter that there's bad people in the church. Quite honestly, here's what I think. I believe that the church is so busy trying to do so many things that we forget to do the best thing. We forget to do the main thing. What some have said is we forget to keep the main thing the main thing. Our call as people, our call as a church, our call as followers of Christ is to bring others to Christ. You heard Brother Robert talk about it this morning. Are you praying about who you might even get to go and hear Franklin Graham, the son of the legendary Billy Graham, that may not come any to any other thing that has any spiritual dimension to it? That's our job, our task. We don't really like it, but that's, that's who we are. Now... We see the condition of the world. We see the situation of the church. And I don't think any of us really like it. And we really want God to send revival. We really want God to send an awakening. So what's stopping it? It's against all that backdrop that we land specifically in our text. That we land specifically in our text. And we see this man. I'm not talking about the man Jesus. I'm talking about the lame man. We could go into a lot of things about the specifics of this story, but here's what we know. We know that he was a man 
that he was a man who had an infirmity, probably was lame. He could have been paralyzed. We have a man here who needs help. We know that he has come to the right place in that culture to get help. He's standing there and the water is right here. Whether an angel stirred the water or whether God thought it and stirred it or whether God used his finger for whatever reason, whatever was happening when the water was stirred, somebody got healed. He was here. He wanted to be healed. He wanted new life. He wanted to be made whole. May I just say this? I believe that we have a culture full of people that want to be made whole. They're sitting on the side. They've been there a long time. They've been looking. But here's the thing. Just like this man couldn't get there on his own, they can't get there on on their own. I also believe that the situation in the church is this. There are people that really want to be spirit-filled once again. There are people that want to see God doing an extraordinary work. We call it supernatural. But when you get in God's economy, what is extraordinary becomes ordinary. What is supernatural becomes the natural. Are you like that? Would you like to see God do something amazing? Okay, I'm not convinced. Here's what I'm going to say. This man was on the side of the pool, and he was there with a bunch. Okay, you're going to get offended. With a bunch of invalids. People who couldn't do it by themselves. You see, folks, it seems to me if there's going to be in this country... An awakening of lost people. It seems to me if there's going to be a revival among the church people. It seems to me that if we're going, to, if God's going to take over again, that it has to begin among God's people in His church. And if it's not going to begin here, I dare say it may not start. We gather to worship, we gather to study, we even gather to praise, we even gather to pray. But somehow, it seems to me that we can't slide off into the pool of His Holy Spirit. That we can't seem to get under that spout. As the old preacher used to say, the spout where the glory runs out. That that somehow... We can't, it's not happening that we get healed of those things which even plague God's people. Somehow we can't seem to lay aside those things, those sin that so easily beset us, that so easily weigh us down and look forward to our Lord Jesus. As I look at this text and I think about that topic right there, I want to suggest to you tonight that just like by that pool, around that pool, there were people who wanted to be healed, and there were some obstacles that kept them from being healed, some practical obstacles. I want to suggest to you that we can make a spiritual parallel tonight about what's blocking an awakening. In a month, we're going to gather and we're going to hear a man who is well-known, Franklin Graham, 
I would to God that our hearts will be renewed, refreshed, restored, and ready for that meeting. So that when we come away from that meeting and people have gone and made decisions and and we get in our office the names of these people, that we'll be ready to reach out and disciple them, to walk the next mile with them. And that we can lay aside. Listen, here's going to be the trouble for us. Here's that we can lay aside every sin that so easily besets us, that so easily hangs on to us. First thing that I see here, first obstacle I see is what I'm going to call disabilities. Disabilities. Couldn't get in the water because somebody beat him there because he was kind of disabled. Now, we don't like using that word anymore, but let me just kind of break that word down for you. Disability, Okay. This means not. It means the absence of. It means reverse ability. And then obviously ability is the ability to perform. So a disability is not having the ability to perform. The absence of ability to perform. And you know what the truth is? Disability leads to inability. And I believe we have just nailed one of the great obstacles to revival. Hmm. Look what we find here. Look at the disability. If you look down in verse, um, what's the disability that, that was around this pool, disability that I think we face today? If you look in verse 3, and these lay a great multitude of sick people blind. Blind. You know what that means? That means they were laying alongside the pool. They were, they were there. They could smell. They could literally smell healing. But they couldn't see the water when it was stirred. They could smell what they needed. But they, they, were, they couldn't get there. They were close to the source. But they just couldn't get in. You see... If you can make the spiritual parallel, boy, this jumped out at me and just stirred me to my soul. Our sin, our apathy, (coughs) our complacency blinds us so much that we have trouble seeing our task, that we have trouble seeing our need, that we have trouble seeing the fields ripe for harvest. We, We get so blind by the things of this world that we can't even see the Lord. We certainly can't see ourselves, and we can't see ourselves in light of the Lord. We can't see our need, and we certainly can't see the needs of others. When you can't see, when you're blind, you can't even see what God's called you to do, what God's called you to be, how God's called you to act. And if we're blind to the, to the spiritual needs of those around us, if we're blind to it, we will never respond to it. You see, again, it just seems to me as I've read this story and pondered it, that, that in our culture, one of the great obstacles to awakening and, and, and to revival is that few people inside the church really see the need. And one of the reasons is because we're blinded. Sometimes we're blinded by sin. 
Sometimes we're blinded by wrong priorities, which we still go back to sin. Sometimes we're blinded by things that are good until we made them our idols. And, you know, an idol is a good thing that we've made the ultimate thing, so it's a bad thing. There were people there. There were people there blinded. Second thing I would say to you is not only, not only were they blinded, but there were some there, if you look in verse 3, that were lame, that were lame. Hmm, that means they can't walk. I, I just need to tell you, I have a real soft place in my heart for people that can't walk. I, I, I tease him so much. I, I'll tell you what, Ben Huey's got a more tender spot in his heart today about people who can't walk than he's ever had before because he experienced it. You see, when you can't walk, you have to depend on everybody else. It's difficult for you to get where you need to. It's difficult for you to do what you need to because you need so much assistance. You see, our man in this story needed someone to put him in the pool, someone to see what was going on and to give him the help he needed that he could get in. What a spiritual picture for us tonight. People who need to get into the blood of Jesus that need to immerse themselves in here and they cannot find their way because they're literally spiritually dead so they're spiritually lame and they can't move. And when we get lame, we can't help those who need help. When we get blind and lame, and, and by the way, we get blind and lame, <laughs> it brings on this third, this, third, uh, this third disability, blind, lame, and it says, verse 3, paralyzed. Paralyzed. <laughs> blind, lame, and paralyzed. I don't know of a generation of Americans, certainly not in my life, who have been struck in the face more with paralysis, quadriplegics, paraplegics, than this generation. We've watched warriors, people who have defended us on the field of battle, come back and only a shell of the person that went. I could get on a bandwagon. Yes, I can. This will go out, Internet or whatever. You know, the, you know what hurts me more right now about that? This is for free. It's not in my notes. You know what hurts me more right now than anything else about about what's going on with our veterans. Every time I see the wounded warrior people who are doing tremendous work, I get angry. I'll just tell you, I'll get mad. A cow goes mad and I'll get there. Because the men and women who went over to defend our freedom, when they came back, we lied to them and we didn't take care of them. But they come back and they're paralyzed. They've been injured. Their bodies won't work. I just want to say this to us. Could it be 
But some of us are spiritually paralyzed because we have been spiritually injured. Hmm. We've been spiritually injured to the place that we're afraid to work because we don't want to be hurt again. There's another way to get paralyzed. Now, I've got two nurses here that will probably call me on this. Three nurses, excuse me, Alicia. Three nurses that will probably call me on this. But there's another way to get paralyzed. Physically, this is normally not permanent. But have you ever sat still for so long that your leg went to sleep? And normally you can move it, but you've got to move it with something else because those muscles are going to sleep. You see, that's how paralysis happens. They, they literally, if we just sit still for so long, our legs will lose its ability to function without some kind of help. And dear friends, these infirmities, physical infirmities, are a perfect picture of what's happened to even possibly some of us. We've been so spiritually inactive for so long that those muscles that used to be so vibrant for the Lord have now gone to sleep. And it's become a disability. I truly believe that's why the building's less than half of the, of the attendance we have on Sunday morning. I truly believe that. That's part of what goes on. People have sat around for so long. You see, when we become disabled, in our faith. I want you to hear this. When we become disabled in our faith, the prospects for renewal, awakening, revival are almost gone. Well, Brother Jerry, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Well, yeah, God can override us and He can do it, but generally He doesn't. I mean, He could have saved the whole world without us. But he chose not to. He told us to go and make disciples. Disabilities, obstacle number one. Number two that we still find here is what I would just say to you is depression. Depression. You know, when I, when I read this, when I read this text, and I see in verse 5 that the man had been had an infirmity 38 years, and he'd been lying there, and he, he had been coming there, and Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? His inaction leads me to believe that he was depressed. I'll just say this to us. Unknown or unrecognized depression will become an obstacle because when you are in a depressed state, now please hear me out, when you are depressed, your perception becomes your reality. It don't matter whether it's true or not, it's true to you. I remember when Christy went through her depression and how, and how things got. And a couple of years later when she was healthy, she and I were talking about it. She looked at me and she said, Daddy, you would not believe what I thought was real when I was sick. She said, I look back now and it seems so stupid, but I was so depressed. You see, folks, if, if, if you look... In the dictionary, and you find some synonyms to depression, words like sadness, words like 
dejection, words like unhappiness, words like despair. We'll get to that in a second. But you see, in the midst of depression, the truth is what you think it is. You can't really separate truth. And watch how this just played out. He says, do you want to be made well? And the man does not even answer the question. Did y'all get that? He doesn't even answer the question. Why? Because after 38 years of coming to this pool, 38 years of infirmity, 38 years of not being able to do what he wanted to do, he had lost hope. Now spiritually we ask, do we want the church to be revived? Won't we do this again? Why don't you respond? Do you want the church to be revived? Do you want the culture to be awakened spiritually? Do, do, do you want to see God's people renewed? Then do you want to be renewed? If you want to be renewed, are you willing to pay the price? I think the spiritual depression, let me, I understand we're out of time. I think the spiritual depression is this. I'm afraid that the average person, the average person, you're probably all above average, but I'm afraid that the average person who reads the Bible and prays and attends Sunday school and attends worship tend not to believe that they will ever see the hand of God doing it here. If God's going to do something, he's going to do it over there. He's going to do it at Hunter Street. He's going to do it at first Gardendale. He's going to do it at Church of the Highlands. He's going to do it someplace else, but he's not going to do it here. And the why we believe that may well come back to this spiritual depression. I remember, and I've told this a couple of times in these years, remember the church, still a good, a former church that I was serving, still good friends today. Walked into my office and said, we're not over here tonight. I said, okay, why? We're going to thus and so church. I said, okay, why? That's where we go get our batteries recharged. It was like an assembly of God. This is where we go to get our batteries recharged. And I looked at them just drop dead and I go, why can't we? And by the way, we were trying to do some things and they were my friends, but they were trying to nudge me in the other direction. And I simply said to them, why does your battery have to be recharged over there? Why don't you think God can do it here? And you know what? Truthfully, this is true, to their credit, they said, we've never thought about it like that before. You see, folks, depression has us believing that it will never happen here. Depression keeps us locked, and it is an obstacle. Let's move to the number three. Teddy's already got it up there, desperation. In the context of this story, I've already mentioned that Jesus said, Do you want to be made well? And the guy did not even answer. I mean, he had been there for 38 years, and, and he probably felt that really no one was cared, no one cared. He was on his own. He had no hope because no one was there to help. He'd been laid there. He had tried to do his best. He had discovered that his best wasn't good enough. So, what he had been, watch this, was what he was always destined to be. Did you get that? 
He had been at the pool looking at the very water that could heal him for 38 years. And it had never happened. So his desperation, the way he had always been, was the way he was destined to be. Brothers and sisters, from the bottom of my heart, I'm afraid that's what keeps some of us obstructed from really turning loose and following Jesus. Because the way it's always been in our life is the way we expect it. To always be. When I read verse 7, and he says, Sir, the sick man says, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. I sense that this guy may finally have been at the end of his rope. He felt like healing had never come, so healing would never come. When I read that, I could just literally hear it in his voice. Could this be what's going on in the church today? Could this be what's going on in our lives today? I'm 70 years old and I have never seen a movement of God. Therefore, there's never going to be a movement of God. Nobody, nobody in our generation has seen God move like he can. But just because, just because this never happened, does that mean it never will happen? Perhaps this guy's... Question, next question would have been, how long do I have to wait? I've been here doing my best. What am I doing wrong? So let me just, and I will just list these. When I read this, it's not up here. You don't have to follow me now, not Teddy, okay? How do you overcome the obstacles? Two things that I see that he did, first of all, He heard Jesus. If we want to make a change and overcome the obstacles, we need to hear Jesus because he's speaking today. He's speaking through the Bible. He's speaking through the circumstances, life circumstances. He's speaking through the church. He's speaking through classes. He's speaking through Christian friends. He is speaking through, and he's speaking through and by the Holy Spirit inside of us if we are saved. Can you hear him? In your quiet time. Can you hear him? Brother Jerry, I don't really have a quiet time. Well, no, you're, then you're probably not going to hear him. It's your starting point. You know what? We need to hear his voice because his sheep hear his voice and knows his voice. Not only do we need to hear it, we need to heed his voice. His message here was, this translation says, rise, take up your bed and walk and and the other translation says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And if we just simply, if, if I had time, we would develop all three of those concepts. Get up. Take up your bed. Don't make a provision for the flesh for you to lay back down there and get uh, lazy again. Get up and walk and go do. Truth is, we could fill the next hour with that. I just want to say that the root cause, what you know, This is not anything profound. The root cause to these obstacles is the old evil one himself, old Satan, the old devil, trying to distract us and pull us away. So what must we do? I'm going to end with this. We need to be open. We need to be open about a number of things. We'll have to be honest and open. Hear him and talk to him. Hear hear. Some suggestions that will help us along the way. 
First of all, we need to be open that we need something. You need something, I need something. Hmm. That means that we're not satisfied. That means what we, the status quo we have today is not good enough. That means we desire something from him. But not only do we need something, we must be open to the fact that we need someone. Someone. We hang this, uh, have more positive comments about that poster than I can even say, that we need someone. It means we don't, we recognize that we don't have the answers. We don't possess all the answers. We need him. You need him, I need him. We need him. So we need something, we need someone, then we need to listen. Somebody say, I'm covered, got you covered there, I pray every day. Well, I'll get to that. But I just ask you, when you do spend your time praying, which is supposed to be a two-way communication, who does most of the talking, you or him? You know, honest, most of us, most of us, I find myself doing this. I just kind of go there and talk to God till I'm tired or I'm done. And then I leave. A couple of times I've gotten up to leave bed and I thought he's tapped me on the shoulder and said, wait a second, I'm not through with you yet. Would you come back and listen for a second? I have listened to you for all this time. Now you need to listen to me a little bit. I know that doesn't happen to anybody else but me. But we need to listen. And then finally we need to respond. And that's, that's to pray. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for other people. We need, to pray. We, we need to begin praying now. God, show me who it is that I'm supposed to invite to this church. Who it is that, that I'm supposed to invite to the Festival of Hope. Who it is that I'm supposed to engage at this time. We're talking, Wednesday we went down to check on the mission trip site. And we're talking on the way down. I think it was Van that said it. Could have been Jerry. Wayne was too busy driving. I believe Van said it, you know, said, uh, we're a pretty well kept secret in Hueytown. Hmm. That might be something worth the gossip. That might be worth the Hueytown hotline to put the, put the good things God's doing around. Land's sake, Satan's had that hotline long enough. Might be time for us to use it for something good. That'd been a good place for an amen. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for somebody else. And the last two things: we need to pray for the Spirit of God to fall like He fell at Pentecost. And then we need to discover those folks that we need to pray for by name who don't know the Lord. You see, folks, if we're going to remove any of these obstacles, hmm. We're going to remove it. By the way, desperation is a negative is an obstacle that can become an opportunity if you get desperate enough. If you're going to remove any obstacles, you have to use weapons that are stronger than the obstacle. That's why we began in prayer. Let's pray.